morning, church. Good to see you. Good to have those who are joining us online, uh, live streaming. We are finishing up our sermon series, Killing Kryptonite. Of course, Kryptonite, Superman's weakness. Kryptonite, spiritually speaking for the Christian, is sin, the general category. But we focused, of course, on the sin of idolatry. And our working definition, idolatry, is trying to satisfy our needs, our desires, our wants, our cravings, apart from God, outside the will of God, practicing known sin. Lines up with what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, No covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, last week, we were talking about overcoming the, a sinful addiction, and in this case, the sinful addiction of pornography. And where we left off, I want to pick up where we left off, was Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, Jesus speaking. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. And then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. They all enter that person and live there. So that person is worse off than before. So what we said is, even as we are destroying our idols, maybe overcoming uh, sinful footholds that the devil has in our lives or addictions, uh, once those are gone, we have to fill the void. There has to be something there to take its place. That sin, that sinful practice, that addiction, that idol was masking a pain. It's trying to fill a void. And we said the void is trying to fill is God. It can only be filled by God. We have a vacuum in our lives that can only be filled by God. And so what I want to talk about today is how to fill that vacuum. Basically, I'm going to approach this under two headings, two parts. Part one is to reinforce and establish we do have a God-shaped vacuum, every person does, in our lives. Not sure we all believe that. So we're going we're gonna to reinforce that in part one. And then in part two, I hope to approach this in a practical way. What does that mean? I mean, I'm a Christian. I have Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. So what are you saying? What do I have to do to fill that vacuum in my life with God? But let's start with part one. Part one, we have a God-shaped vacuum in our lives. Now I'm going to read... A handful of scriptures and some quotes under this section just to drive this home. Psalm 42, 1. The psalmist writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Well, that's, a, that's the God-shaped vacuum that he's talking about there. We need God in our hearts and in our lives. 1670, Blaise Pascal wrote, the infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself, the abyss within us. Later, Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ, paraphrased what Blaise Pascal said with this quote, There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator <clears throat> made known through Jesus Christ. So yes, we can use sin to try to fill that void many times. People do. We talked about lust. We talked about covetousness, maybe greed, sometimes eating disorders. All kinds of things can become addictions. But even good things can lose their proper perspective in our lives and take the place that God should have. For instance, marriage. Now, some of you are familiar with Francis Chan. He's a well-known preacher in Christianity. He and his wife, Lisa, have written a book, You and Me Forever. It's a book on marriage. It's a fantastic book on marriage. It may be the best I've ever read on that subject. But Lisa relates, I mean, they co-authored, and uh, Lisa Chan relates how they had an anniversary and they went away on a trip, and she asked Francis, hey, what can I do to be a better spouse? 
So sometimes they would ask each other that question. Either way, but she asked Francis. And Francis said, uh, well, you know, to be honest, uh, I, I think that you depend on me too much. I think you should be going to God for some of the things you're coming to me for. And Lisa said that kind of took her aback. She wanted to get a little bit defensive. But when she examined herself, she had to admit that sure enough, she had been shortchanging her time with God and her relationship with God and trying to seek from her husband, Francis, certain things that only God could provide. Uh, let me read you a quote. Lisa Chan writes, It could be that much of the heartache surrounding our marriages is a lack of spiritual connection between us and Christ. It could be that we are so relationally needy because we have neglected our spiritual needs. It's time to strengthen our walk with God. It starts by setting down our roots in God's Word. The beautiful thing is that as we pursue this, God takes His rightful place in our lives. It says in Scripture, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So marriage is not the source of joy, though many of us assume that it is. Joy is something we bring into our marriages if we're married because we are being filled with joy in our walk with God and because we are confident of His promises. It's time to stop looking to your marriage and your spouse to do the things that God promises to do for us. True strength, true joy, true fulfillment. These are all promised to us by God, and they can only come from Him. All right, so marriage is great. God will use our spouses to meet many of our needs. But if we're looking to a spouse to meet all the needs and the things that only God can do, we're going to get out of whack. We're going to be unbalanced. And the time is going to come, and that maybe that spouse is gone. Things are going to fall apart. Right? That should not happen for a person who is centered and feeding upon God. So, another scripture. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. God-shaped vacuum. God-shaped hole. Here's another example. How about work? Sometimes work gets out of proportion and is taking too much of our lives and trying to fill a need that only God can fill. In his book, Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame, Major League Baseball Cy Young winner Barry Zito says that baseball had become his God. Now, Barry Zito... Uh, a couple of years ago, had gotten a multi-million dollar contract, the largest contract of any baseball player in history up to that time. And then after he got that contract and all that money, his performance promptly tanked. He was doing terrible as a baseball player. And at that time in his life, he says he was totally dependent on the approval of the fans. He wanted to please them so much, and he wasn't getting any love from the fans, and he went into a depression. His girlfriend gave him a Bible, and he began to read the Bible, and he came to faith. He says his whole perspective changed. He began to look to God for approval, and then just did the best that he could in his job and his work, which was baseball, and things changed for him. He writes, baseball was my God for so long, and I still find a tendency to put other things in God's place at times, whether it's my relationship with my wife or success in the music industry or something financial. But the Holy Spirit is always there through God's Word to call me back. All right. Marriage, work, or sinful addictions. Revelation 22, 17, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come, and let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. All right, under this section, let me give you one more quote. One more quote. This is from John Eldridge in his book, Journey of Desire. 
He writes, the first command comes first. The first command comes first. God tells us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not a burden, but a rescue, a trail out of the jungles of desire. When we don't look for God as our true life, our desire for him spills over into other desires, giving them an ultimacy and an urgency they were never intended to bear. We become desperate, grasping, and worrying over all kinds of things. And once we get them, they end up ruling us. It's the difference between wants and needs. All we truly need is God. Prone to wander from Him, we find we need all sorts of other things. Our desire becomes insatiable because we've taken our longing for the infinite and placed it upon finite things. God saves us from that whole mess by turning our hearts back to Him. So all of that, just to reinforce, what probably most of us already believe, we need God in our lives. We need God to be the center of our lives. We have a God-shaped vacuum or a God-shaped hole in our lives. He's the only thing that can fill it, and nothing else can do so properly, whether it's sinful or whether it's good. You've got to get God in there first. Okay, so now let's go to part two. All right, so having said all that, let's say we all agree on that. What does that mean? How am I going to fill that hole in my life with God? How am I going to do this in a practical way? Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Jesus said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Mary's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Henry Nguyen once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual advice and direction. She said this, Spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. One hour each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. I like that quote. In fact, it kind of fits the, our definition of idolatry, not doing known sin, but one hour a day in adoration of the Lord. Now, I know most of us are not going to do one hour, but the main thing I want us to hear is adoration of our Lord. Here's a definition of worship. Worship is the act of the abandoned heart adoring its God. We're going to talk about feeding on the Lord and filling that hole. We do that through worship. I'm not talking about necessarily what we just did in singing. That's just scratching the surface. I'm talking about our daily, you know, an hour a day or a certain period of time each day, adoring the Lord and worshiping Him, feeding on Him in that way. Now, two or three caveats. <clears throat> Number one, this is just me up here. I'm not necessarily the expert on how to connect with God. There are folks right out here in this congregation, I'm looking at some of them, who could come up here and talk about this probably better than me. And we would all learn better. But you know what? I'm the one who's up here. So I'm going to talk about what I know and what I have learned and what I've experienced. And secondly, there are many spiritual disciplines, maybe many conduits to relate to God. I've got a book in my library called Spiritual Disciplines of a Godly Man, and it lists, it's 17 chapters, 17 different disciplines. But I believe, as I've studied, read the Bible, and those who teach and write about spiritual formation, there are primarily two primarily two rails on which we connect to God and that's the Word of God and prayer we're talking about daily being in the Word of God and in prayer with God and the third caveat I'm gonna talk about one way to do this there are many ways to be in the Word and in prayer and I understand that 
And I'm just going to talk about one way. When I was in Bible college, learning how to preach, we had homiletics. Homiletics class is how to write a sermon and how to preach. And the professor said, there's a lot of ways to write a sermon and a lot of ways to preach. But you are young preacher boys, and you got to learn one way that works. And that's the way I'm going to teach it, the classic way. I have a central idea, three supporting points, an engaging introduction, and a compelling conclusion. And then we, we would learn how to, to speak in public. So we're going to learn. So you may already have your way. I'm sure a, a lot of us do. And that's fine. So you may not need this, but a lot of people don't. There are a lot of Christians who just haven't uh, mastered this devotional, daily devotional area of their lives. So, so bear with us as we talk about a way that works. All right, step number one. I'm going to do one, two, three. Step number one, how to worship God daily, how to connect with God, how to fill that God-shaped vacuum. Number one, create some mar- we have to create some margin in our lives, time. We gotta have, it doesn't have to be an hour a day, like I said, but we, gotta have, we have to have some time that we're setting aside every day to be with the Lord in word and in prayer. We have to create that margin. I know we are all so busy. Steve, you don't know how busy I am. I, the retired folks, we're in the early service, and I always ask when I talk to somebody and they're retired, I say, now that you're retired, now what do you do with all, all that time you have, that free time? And they always say, they always say, it's like they got together and they, they learned the same response. I don't know how I had time to work back when I had a job. I'm so busy now. But you have a job. Maybe you have two jobs and you're going to school and you got two or three kids. Even, well, you wouldn't believe how busy I am. Well, let me ask you a question. And this is not a trick question. How many people in here have a television? Anybody got a TV? Come on, come on, own up. I'm, I'm not going to get... All right. How many have a smartphone? How many here? All right. If you watch TV, you have time. If you binge watch Netflix, Hulu, or don't even binge watch, if you watch TV, if we watch TV, we have time. If we're on that phone and we're playing games, we play any kind of online game, internet game, computer game, we have time. Fact of the matter is, we have time. We just have to take from something else that we're doing make sure we're making time to feed on God. Here's another quote from John Eldridge He's about this. He writes, first, you must reduce the constant noise of your life. Turn off the television. It is an enemy of your heart. Having one is like inviting Vanity Fair to set up shop in your home. The whole operation runs on imitation passion, a constant assault on your desire. Even the news is a problem because of its artificial importance. Have you noticed? Every night there's an urgency to the stories. That's what they have to do to sell the news. But if everything is urgent, then nothing is. Thoreau said, don't read the times, read the eternities. Given the pace of our lives, I doubt we have room for both. Simply unplug from all the clamor and make room for eternity in your life. I know. Nobody's going to get rid of their TV. I understand that. I'm just saying there are areas where we can take time if we're not doing this now and give that to God. All right, step two. I'm going to recommend a tool. This is the tool called the one-year Bible. If you've been with me here for the last 13 years in my ministry at this church or any portion thereof, bear with me. I know this is not the first time I've talked about the one-year Bible, but it's a great tool. Last week when we were talking about overcoming pornography, We talked about the tool of covenant eyes and how it combines three tremendous dynamics. 
Well, this tool is so effective in combining several dynamics. So let me just describe it for a minute, the benefits of the one-year Bible. And you can come up and look at this in between services if you've never seen one. First of all, this is a Bible that's divided into 365 daily readings. So what that means is if you read it every day, you will read through the entire Bible in the space of one year, which is a great thing to do. We need all of God's Word coming into us, all of it, not just some of it. I mean, we need the historical books of the Old Testament. We need the prophetic books of the Old Testament. We need the poetic books of the Old Testament. We need the gospel narratives of the New Testament. We need the gospel uh, letters of the New Testament. We need the apocalyptic literature, the revelation of the New Testament. Over the span of a year, we need all of the counsel of God coming into us. So that's a great thing to have read the Bible in an entire year and then do it again, year after year after year. Here's another thing. Since this is arranged in 365 daily readings, each day's reading is fairly short. If you're an average reader, probably 15 minutes a day. We're not talking about Mother Teresa, an hour a day. We're talking about 15 minutes of reading a day. You can also have it read to you. Now, so this is, this is a paperback version. This cost 13 bucks. Just bought it last week, brand new, $13. You can go online to www.oneyearbibleonline.com, and it's free. And you can read it online for free. It doesn't cost anything. We can download the app onto our smartphone and have a professional narrator read it to us. And that app, by the way, is on our church website under resources. There's the app that I use. Got a narrator and reads it to us. 15 minutes. You put it on one and a quarter speed, 12 minutes. Put it on one and a half speed, 10 minutes. I guess you could ratchet it up and get through the whole Bible like in three days if you wanted to, but that's not the point. My point right there is actually it just doesn't take a whole lot of time. Now, here's another thing about these 365 daily readings. Each daily portion of the Bible, of your reading, is going to have some Old Testament, some New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb. Now, here's, here's a benefit of that, a blessing of that. Let's say on New Year's Eve you said, I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to start with Genesis and read all the way through to Revelation. Well, you're going to get bogged down on Leviticus and quit. Uh, the nice thing is, in the one-year Bible, when you're reading through Leviticus and the genealogies aren't doing it for you, that's okay because you can still come on over here to the New Testament. And there's going to be something that speaks to your heart and speaks to your soul from the New Testament. The psalm is almost always going to speak to our heart and speak to our soul. There's this nice blend of God's Word every day. So something in there is going to connect. It's going to connect. I don't know why God didn't arrange the Bible like this in the first place, but he did it. Now, you say, All right, okay, okay, I read the one in your Bible. Now let me add a little something to that. This, what I'm going to suggest right here, kind of a hack, has the potential to revolutionize our prayer lives. What I want to recommend is that we pray the Scripture. Pray, there's a certain part in our daily reading that we can pray back to God. Now, first of all, praying the Scripture is biblical. It's, there's biblical precedent for that. Jesus' disciples noticed how powerful his prayer life was. So they said, hey, teach us to pray. And he gave them in response to the Lord's Prayer, right? So let's, let's, talk, let's, let's just... We'll recite through the Lord's Prayer and uh, put the first phrase up there, Our Father art in heaven. 
Now, as we go through this together, I want you to notice the Old Testament references under each phrase. Those are references where that idea or those very words are found in the Old Testament. In other words, my thesis here is Jesus was praying Scripture in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, let's say it together, which art in heaven, say it together, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Now, of course, you couldn't copy all those down, but you will have noticed those references. If you want them, just ask for the manuscript of this sermon on your Connect card. You can have those references. My point is, that entire prayer is, in, is lifted from Jesus' Bible, the Old Testament Scriptures. How about this one? Matthew 27, 46, Jesus prays. He cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Praying the very words of Scripture. Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What I want to recommend here. See, what praying a portion of your daily Bible reading can do for us is take it out of the category of checking a box. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible every day. Okay, I read the one-year Bible. Check, check. Takes it out of that category and puts it into a, a discipline, a form, and a practice that will inflame our hearts, that will revolutionize our prayer lives, and will connect us to God. Now, you always can pray the psalm. The psalms are prayers, songs, and poems written to God. It's very easy to put a psalm in the first person, the psalm for the day, and pray that to God. If you do that, you will be praying prayers like you have never prayed before. Because let's be honest, okay? What do our prayers normally sound like? If we even pray, Lord, heal them, give me this, and give them that, amen. Thanks Thanks for the food, amen. When we pray the Psalms, we are praying prayers like we have never prayed before. The congregational prayer that I led this morning was Psalm 99. Today's prayer and today's reading of the one-year Bible. And, and we prayed that together. We were thanking God for Moses and Aaron, and we were talking about things that happened in the Old Testament, God's interaction with the Israelites, and then we brought it back to us. How many times have we prayed about Moses and Aaron and the Israelites and the parting of the Red Sea and the great miracles of God? Praise God for his exaltation and his sovereignty in our prayers. You pray the Psalms, you're going to do that. But also, the New Testament portion. Here's the real magic, the New Testament portion. Can't always pray the historical narratives in the Gospels. You'll be in those in the first four months of the year. Once we get into the letters, although some of the sermons of Jesus we can Once we get into the letters, it's amazing. Let me give you an example. If you read the one-year Bible for today, at least the audio version, then the New Testament portion is Titus chapter 2. I'm not going to do the whole chapter. We don't have time. But let me just take verses 9 through 15. As we read them, they sound like this. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. And then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. 
For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. What you want to do, turn that around, put it in the first person, and pray it to God. Something like this. Our Father in heaven, I pray that everything I do may reflect the integrity and seriousness of my teaching. I will teach the truth so that my teaching can't be criticized. Then Satan who opposes me will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about me. Help me to always obey my employers and do my best to please them. I won't talk back or steal, but will show myself to be entirely trustworthy and good. In that way, I will make the teaching about you, O God my Savior, attractive in every way. For your grace has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, including me. Help me to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. I will live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to you while I look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free me from every kind of sin, to cleanse me, and to make me his very own, totally committed to doing good deeds. I will teach these things and encourage other believers to do them. Amen. Can you imagine the revival that we might experience if 15% of our congregation were praying prayers like that every day? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words and sending them right back up to Jesus and the word of God sinks into our hearts and our souls and takes root there and we experience God and our prayer lives are revolutionized. You ever prayed a prayer like that before? And our prayer lives are absolutely revolutionized. Yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of desire still unmet in our lives because the, the consummation of the marriage between the bride of Christ, the church, and the bridegroom, Jesus, has not yet happened. Okay? We haven't seen Jesus face to face. We're still in bodies of flesh. We still live in a fallen world. Death is still out there taking the edge off of the joy. But we can fill that God-shaped hole and vacuum in our lives when we spend time each day in adoration and worship of the Lord on the twin rails of the Word of God and prayer. Father in heaven, we pray today that you will call us back. I mean, we repent of our prayerlessness. We repent of our independence from your word, your instruction, this food for our souls that you have given us. We come to you humbly, humbly, kneeling before you, bowing before you, God, asking you to fill us, fill us once again in the way that only you can with yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.